This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. I'm Jesse. Hey, Jesse. How's it going? Scott. We're talking about uh, the most recent four books of the Odyssey, books 17, 18, 19, and 20. Right, 17 through 20. That's right. And again, I'm struck with how different this is than the first half of the book. Yep. You know, the first half of the book is like a big adventure where all kinds of dangerous things are happening. And then at, I think it was book 13, it shifted gears. Mm-hmm. And now um, Odysseus is at his homeland. He's disguised as a beggar. He's uh, walking around trying to decide what to do with all these suitors. That are going after his wife. There's sort of lots of lots of scenes that are repeating. Um, yeah, yeah. To get, give you the sense of uh, what's you know it's coming, it's coming, it's, it's coming, coming it. it's coming. It it's like building tension, you know. So at the in book seventeen, he's disguised as a beggar, and at the end of book twenty, he's still disguised as a beggar. Yep. Um, but one of the things that happens in these books is people start to. Uh, kind of slowly realize who he is. Yeah. Um, I guess one of the major events. I mean, do, do you want to talk about it book by book, or? Yeah. Okay. Why don't we do? Well, well, we don't have to do it that way, especially since all my notes are on book seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, one of the major events in this section is that Odysseus is recognized by his. Um, what would you call it, a nursemaid? Uh, someone mm-hmm. who raised him. Yeah. Uh, you know, an, an elderly... Nurse, I think yeah, an that. elderly nurse, right. Yeah. And uh, she recognizes him because, you know, first she says things like, you know, hey, you you look a lot like what Odysseus would look like now after 20 years. Mm-hmm. And he goes, yeah, well, thanks. A lot of people tell me that. And then, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then she sees a scar on his leg. And then she And knows. she says, holy cow, you're really him. And then he... He tells her to be quiet. <laughs> and not in a very nice way either, I found. But um, yeah, he's, Well, she is a slave. <laughs> she is a slave, right, and he talks to her as such. Um, you know, it's just like I, I thought there would be this, you know, lovely bond, but, you know, I guess that's a, uh, you know, my society, right? And then, uh, you know, with back then, you know, she was a slave and a woman, and he was quite gruff. Um, right. I, I thought... Uh uh, this reminded me, you know, I bel- I thought that his name meant scarred one, Odysseus. Uh-huh. Uh, let me just read what the etymology of his name is. I, I could be remembering it wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says his name has several variants, um, and obviously there's Ulysses in, in Latin. Um, but it's contested between the verb odusomai, meaning to be wroth against, figure out what wrath means. Wrath. Uh, hate, right? I guess wrath. Uh, suggesting the name could be rendered as he who is wrathful. Alternatively, mm. it is also suggested of a non-Greek origin um, of unknown etymology. Really? Um, but, I, you know... Well, somewhere, I, somewhere I had heard that his name had to do with pain. Yeah, and you, know, you would think that the, um, the, uh, the scar is is that pain, but also the pain of being away from your family for 19 years. Well, yeah, I mean, well, everywhere he goes, he he uh, causes pain inadvertently and receives pain constantly. Um, yeah, and 
he was also apparently named as a child in in our chapter nineteen mm-hmm. um, as uh poly ertos, uh which mean much prayed for huh. um, and then I think you know what's really interesting is you can actually if you're a little bit familiar with you know the Greek cognates the the little parts of uh, prefixes and affixes and such. You can sort of tell who the good guy is and the bad guy is by their names. Uh-huh. So you uh, you Emmaus, right? Mm-hmm. EU uh, means good. Um, huh. And then in in these, I think it's chapters. And and Eumaeus is his Eumaeus, uh, yeah, nurse's name, right? Oh no, that's the, I'm talking about the swineherd. Okay, the swineherd. What about it? Doesn't his uh, his nurse start with an EU as well? Uh, that could very well be. Yeah. Um, Here, I'll, I'll look it up while you're talking. Mm-hmm. About it. And there's also like um, two bad guys in the household. One uh, is a goat herd, and one is a I don't know a, a serving wench or something. And they have the exact same name. Except one's the male and one's the female, and you can tell they're the bad guys because they, they're exactly mm-hmm. the same. They they both treat uh, the this beggar with disdain. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a it's a it's an interesting little you know key, and I think you know a lot of this is it's to do with memory uh-huh. uh, for the for the person telling the story. <laughs> you know you. You always use the same uh, phrases so that you can remember what happens next. And bad guys sound like bad guys <laughs> and good guys. You know, the, the, there's a good servant whose name is uh, Philos or something like that. And that Philos is love, right? So, uh-huh. you know, there's, there's the love and there's the hate. <laughs> and the hateful right. one and the hateful female one. And then there's the loving one and the loving, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's... Uh, it's like to us they're just names, but for the people whose language it's native into, it's um, it's more like having the hero named hero, or the uh-huh. prote- you know uh, antagonist named antagonist. <laughs> <laughs> hero antagonist. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> yeah, it's from the snow no, crash. Hero, hero protagonist wasn't it? Protagonist. That's right. That's, that's right. right. Hero protagonist. Yep. It's not the enemy and. And he, That's right. He's, he's not protagonist. Yeah. Um, is uh, would you say that um, Neil Stevenson was uh, one to dip into the old uh, old texts? Uh, that's a good question. You know, having having read this, it would be interesting. I would have to say yes, though, especially with uh, the subject matter of Snow Crash. I don't think he the Tower of Babel and all that stuff. And I don't think he's particularly uh, copying other people. Um, even if you know he's doing a sort of a, uh, he's uh, I haven't read that book that uh, uh-huh. crash, but um, yeah, my, my understanding is that it's cyberpunk, but sort of a parody. Is that, is that right? A parody? I don't know. It's it's um, or um, I don't know if it'd be a parody. Books? Yeah, there are there are some definite satire going on in that book. Right. Um, yeah, and and it doesn't take itself so seriously. I could say that. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's a parody of the genre, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. No, no. But uh, it's it's uh, you know, um, Gibson tends to play it straight. Uh huh. But it's ripe for parody, 
right? Gotcha. Everybody yeah. who writes uh, like Gibson is kind of like writing parody yeah, of Gibson, <laughs> I think. Um, right. But, you know, everybody's doing Anyways. Oh, yeah. Hey, I found the name of the nurse. It's oh. Yuri Clea. There you go. E-U-R-Y-C-L-E-I-A. Yeah. yeah. E-U as a prefix means good. Okay. Um, yep. So. Good to uh, know. Good yeah, to know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, that, yeah, there is a lot of the repetition. And, you know, Telemachus comes in. He's greeted by his nurse. Then, uh, and she's like, oh, tears, 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 right? And then the mom sees the son, and she's like, oh, and, and tears, 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 <laughs> and she kisses his beautiful eyes, right? Yeah. And then yeah. she goes back up uh, up to her, uh, suddenly knowing that her place is back in the bedroom, she goes back up to her bed and says, I'm going up to my bed that's stained by tears of uh, sadness for my lost husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, uh, comes in Odysseus, and it's he sees his old nurse, and tears, 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 and later on we're going to get the uh, tears, tears, tears with the the wife, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, lots, yeah. lots of repetition, and there's also, you know, he comes into town, almost in town, he sees the goat herd. Goat herd throws, no, kicks him, kicks him in the in the uh, the hip. Uh-huh. Doesn't do any damage. Zero damage. He rolls. <laughs> Zero damage done. Um, and then later on, I, I think it's chapter 18, uh, he's in the the uh, the feasting hall, and one of the suitors uh, throws a stool at him, hits him in the shoulder. Zero damage right. done. Zero damage, yeah. Right? And both times he restrains himself. Right, right. Yeah, because he's disguised, you know. He's like, okay, am I going to fight all these guys at once or what? You know, and mm-hmm. um, but notice, you know, the other thing that's weird is that uh, he's trying to restrain himself, and uh, actually, the opposite's kind of going on in Athena's mind. She is trying to enrage him. She takes away the the good thoughts out of the makes the fools out of the suitors. Yeah, as to enrage, uh, enrage Odysseus, and he says, "You know, I'm of two minds. Uh, first, on the one hand, I want to kick these guys' asses right now, but mm. on the other hand, I better see, you know, exactly what's what before I." Right, right. And that keeps repeating, and it's like okay. yeah, it does. And and Athena seems to have a big hand in this section. Even more than the previous section, mm-hmm. she would do things like make Penelope look even better than she does. Mm-hmm. Um, which and him, you know, you, you, you'd think that she's doing that to uh, she, she. Penelope comes up with the idea, well, through Athena, that what she needs is for all these suitors to give her gifts. Mm-hmm. And what Athena's, I think, really trying to set up is a meeting between Odysseus and Penelope. Which can't happen with all the suitors around, right? That's my interpretation, anyway. So, but anyway, so in order to make this whole gift idea work out even better, Athena makes Penelope look really, really good. Yeah, super and hot. super hot. Yeah, and then, but that's the first time Odysseus has seen her too. So there's an additional uh, holy cow from him, mm-hmm. where you know he's like. Um, yeah. There, she's made not just like like Odysseus has done exactly the same thing in the next I think the next chapter. Mm-hmm. What happens is 
she is made pretty and tall, right? Right. Her stature mm-hmm. is increased in stature and increased in beauty, just for the that you know scene, right? Yeah, right. And then later on, when uh, there's a this is the first probably pro- first probably uh, in all literature bum fight between <laughs> between <laughs> Odysseus and uh, some other bad bum, you know, like it's. There's lots of twinning going on. So, you know, if bums coming into the house, that's inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the swineherd brings in a bum. Uh, it turns out to be Odysseus. Uh, that's inappropriate. Um, but it's also appropriate in a certain sense, you know, because you offer hospitality, but it's inappropriate to come to the castle, you know, and you're supposed to go to the, like you're saying, uh, go to the uh, uh, person of your similar stature. Right, right. Which, I guess a, a bum would have to go to another bum's house. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but maybe that's how it is supposed to be. Uh, and th- the the bad bum comes in and challenges uh, Odysseus to a fight. And Athena makes him super tough and mm-hmm. tall. Super tough and super tall. Mm-hmm. Yep. So why is she doing all that stuff? Um, well, there's a few ways we could interpret it. I mean... <laughs> I think, you know, one way to look at it is is that Odysseus is her avatar on Earth. She is, he is the character that she manipulates as, you know, the, her hero protagonist, you know. Uh-huh. Um, and she is basically lining up everything for the ends that she wants to see happen. Um, and why she wants that other than just wanting it, not entirely clear. Um, but... Uh, the other way to look at it, and this is, uh, I, I know people have remarked about uh, the difference between the Iliad and the Odyssey, is that in the Iliad, people are unconscious of their own minds. Whereas in the Odyssey, we get the first um, literature, literary examples of a person who can be of two minds. And, you know, it happens again in these four chapters that he, uh, Odysseus can't sleep. He gets a visit from from Athena, who says to him, "I guess while he's in bed, you know, uh, this is what you got to be thinking about." And uh, okay, you've thought enough, and now I'm going to sprinkle your eyes with sleep. And he slept mm-hmm. until the rosy fingered dawn. Right. Right. That, right. that happened earlier uh, when when we had a podcast with Julie. Um, I was saying, you know, why does he have to have you know the goddess come and give her give him sleep in the eyes. Isn't he tired enough? And she said, well, that's what goddesses do or something like that. And I was thinking, (laughs) but it's a metaphor, right? It's a metaphor. The god is a metaphor. She's the goddess of wisdom. And so when he has the feelings towards the the suitors, you know, on the one hand, I want to do this. And on the other hand, Athena is not guiding him in the... In, in the right way, she's actually inflaming the other people, right? And in, in, in that sense, we would say that they have lost their senses, not for, from our perspective as, you know, 21st century people. They're just, you know, not being wise. They drank too much wine or whatever it is. Uh-huh. Um, but not having Athena within you means you're not wise. <laughs> right? So if right, you look right. at it as the god manipulating him, uh, it's a little harder to understand her motivations. Um, I think it's a le- little easier to imagine that external, uh, externalizing wisdom as a as a being, being like I cultivate uh, the value of 
Athena being, I'm looking for wisdom. Something like that. What do you mm-hmm. think? Well, yeah, that, I think I can say that I see it similarly to you in that um, she's cultivating wisdom in, in people. Or r- removing it in the case of the suitors. Uh, yeah, when she yeah when she makes them act like fools. Right. And, and she you know even when they they leave and come back you know in in the, that chapter twenty, there's she's still got that on them you mm-hmm. know still want them to act like fools and whether she's doing that to enrage, um, Odysseus or not I guess. Remind him that he's he, he, they're not his friends because sometimes mm-hmm. they're not totally unreasonable. You know, some of them are are you know they're actually preaching the gospel what, uh, about uh, hospitality. And I actually have that as one of my notes here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if I can find it, let's see. Uh, this is in book seventeen. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, this is a fairly long section, but I think it's it's interesting. Um, okay. Uh, what god, exclaimed Antonius, has afflicted this plague on us to spoil our dinner? This is when Odysseus is begging from each of the suitors a uh, crust uh. of bread, right? Stand out there in the middle and keep clear of my table. I'll give you the sort of Egypt and <laughs> I'll give you the sort of Egypt and Cyprus you won't relish. Um, uh, Odysseus had just complained about all the troubles he's had in Cyprus and Egypt. <laughs> um, that he used to be a lord like them, and he's lost all his ships, and his men were all fled, and he was turned into a slave, and luckily he got his way to that. Right? He just told a giant lie to them. Told, mm-hmm. you know, typical Odyssean lie to them, and, and, and he just throws it back in his face. Um, the audacity and impudence of the rogue. He has only to pester each man in turn, and they give him food without a thought, for, the all, for they all have plenty before them, and nobody shows restraint or consideration when it comes to being generous with other people's goods. Odysseus prudently drew back and said, Ah, I was wrong in thinking that your brains might match your looks. You wouldn't give so much as a pinch of salt from your larder to a retainer of your own. You that sit there at the man's, another man's table and can't bring yourself to Take a bit of bread and give it to me, though there's plenty there. Uh, this roused Antonius to real fury. He gave him a black look and did not mince his words. After that, he said, I swear you shall not get away from here in triumph. Your insolence has settled it. And picking up a stool, he let it fly at Odysseus, full on the right shoulder where it joins the back. But Odysseus stood firm as rock, and Antonius's missile did not even make him totter. He just shook there. He just shook his head in silence, filled with revengeful thoughts. And so he went back to his threshold where he sat down and dropped his bulging wallet and addressed the company. Listen to me, you lords that are wooing our illustrious queen. Let me unburden my heart a knock or two. When a man is fighting for his own property, his oxen or white sheep is nothing to cry about or be ashamed of. But this blow from Antonius was brought on me by my wretched belly. That cursed thing men have to thank for so much trouble. And if there are any goods, uh, sorry, if there are any gods and powers that can avenge a beggar, I hope Antonius will be dead before his wedding day. (laughs) Sit and eat in peace, sir, Antonius retorted, or take yourself elsewhere. Otherwise, your freedom of speech will end in your and our young men dragging you out of the place by leg or arm and flaying you from head to foot. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then this is where uh, you can see that the suitors aren't all bad, because mm-hmm. but the rest of them felt the utmost indignation, and the general sense was expressed by one gallant who said, Antonius, you did wrong to strike the wretched vagabond. You're a doomed man if he turns out to be some god from heaven, and the gods do disguise themselves, strangers from abroad, and wander around our towns in every kinds of shape, to see whether people are behaving themselves or getting out of hand. And um, all the suitors generally agreed with that. And I thought, wow, that is, you know, uh, that's in the Christian Bible too, right? Yeah. Um, but well, the, the Christian Bible in, as in treating strangers as if they're Jesus. Do unto uh, the least of these as you would do unto me, right? Right, yeah. And uh, it's... You know, you don't. <laughs> you have to go around treating everybody as if they were a, a cruel god who could possibly punish you. Or, uh, I mean, it's it's a little bit reversed because Jesus doesn't go around punishing people, right? But right. the idea is that, that he, God knows what you're doing here on earth, and so you, in one hand, you might want to know what what uh, you know. You might want to restrain yourself because what you're doing has consequences. Yeah. Um, but it's very primitive in here, right? It's it's like uh, you can't. It's like speeding tickets, right? <laughs> you want to not speed when you think there's a good chance you might get caught. <laughs> don't speed if you think you might get caught. Yeah. Whereas we would say speeding is just bad. Don't do it. Right. Right. Um, right. But how to restrain people might be to threaten them with punishment. <laughs> Uh, exactly. I, uh, one of the notes that I marked was in that thing that you read, and it was in mine. It's you know it's worded a little bit differently, but it says, "But Antinous struck me all because of my good for nothing belly." Right. That that curse that makes such pain for us poor men. Mm-hmm. You know the, that's the mentioned again in this in this, this uh, set of chapters, uh-huh. uh, set of books, because. I think there's a message there. He, he, I, th- I think in the other section he says it makes us go out in ships and raid other people's places. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, is it just food or is it greed? It's appetites, yeah. Yeah, it's right. it's not just... Uh, but see, I I don't even think he's that hungry. He's going around collecting and collecting and collecting. He's, all, he's a total liar. So you can't <laughs> take any of this as like he's actually hungry. That's true. Uh, from all those trips, right? He's not really that hungry. He's there testing them all. But, mm. but, um, I don't let beggars into my house. Do you let beggars into your house? Uh, no, not normally. And more importantly, uh, you can see, like, the, the, the suitors are not totally, um, at least not totally wrong. So, uh, it's kind of like, maybe Athena and... Odysseus are not exactly on the same page because it seems like Odysseus is testing them over and over again. I was thinking in order to maybe make sure he doesn't kill any of the ones that aren't actually all that bad. Mm -hmm. And he does say, you know, you should get out of here because uh, Odysseus is coming and I hear he's going to kick some ass. Uh, It's like he's trying to make, make it so that he won't be doing... He won't be just murdering the bad guys. Uh-huh. Uh, he, so he will only be killing the bad guys and not just, you know, killing all as a group. But they are sort of indistinguishable, except every once in a while one of them says something, and sometimes it's not all that terrible. And 
here, they're not all that terrible. They they agree, you know, you shouldn't hit people randomly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, that's true. You're right. Hmm. Yep. Uh, the the next the next mark I have okay. is interesting, kind of from a different perspective, um, because it uh, it reminds us who's telling the story. Mm-hmm. Um, it says, "You know how you can stare at a bard in wonder, hmm. trained by the gods to sing and hold men spellbound." How you can long to sit there listening all your life when the man begins to sing. So he charmed my heart. I tell you, huddling there beside me at my fire. And uh, let's see, what was that in reference to? But it, it was, it, you know, it, every now and then something gets yep. thrown in there. for Little you meta to story. Be, yeah, for you to be reminded that, um, that someone is telling the story aloud. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like to think about that. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's uh, I, it, the whole thing is stories within stories within stories up to uh, very recently, where now we're getting in the present, right? Yeah, um, yeah. A lot of this is is told by Odysseus in retrospect, mm-hmm. uh, and then now we're in the present tense. But yeah, there's still there's still a bard here and there. Oh, right, the company. <laughs> um, and, and he's probably saying, you know, yeah, um, the tip jar is open. Yep. And <laughs> in, in these four, cha- four books, it seems like there's almost a sense of uh, still waiting to get to the action, huh? Okay, I'll just uh, keep playing a little longer. <laughs> he's sort of extending it out and repeating things, yeah. uh, you know, building it up and building it up before he gets to the denouement because he hasn't received enough coins in the in the guitar case yet, you know? Yeah, right. Um, you know, it makes me wonder: Are there folks who uh, perform this at all, or sections of it? Uh, I'm interested to see that. I should look on YouTube and see. No, because uh, I remember oh. I found one once a guy who was performing Beowulf. Ah, yes, live. Okay. Yeah. So, there, in real life, uh, I believe there are some Turkic bards still around. I d- at least there were uh, fifteen or twenty years ago. Um, whose job it was to go around from like coffee shop to coffee shop and spin spin tales, but they aren't uh, the Odyssean tales; they are their own. And there are also uh, ones in Ireland, but again, I don't know if they're still around. They were, you know, slowly dying off. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it's not uh, something that that uh, is much called for when. You know, we've got television, radio, and oh, sure, yeah, I did just thought you know from a historical. You know, but yeah, not curiosity the, yeah. perspective. Somebody, that, yeah, because you know this would take days. But man, it'd be kind of fun. Or uh, like the book you're about to uh, do again, right? Fahrenheit four five. Fahrenheit four five one. That, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, this guy is that book, and that guy is this book. And uh-huh. what book are you going to learn? I'm going to learn <laughs> short one. Maybe maybe a few poems. <laughs> <laughs> you I mean, bet. That great. So you you won't be learning uh, what Anathem by Neil Stevenson. Oh. No, <laughs> but you notice um, the way that you can do that. It's not just like pure rote memorization. It's done as a song. I mean, this mm-hmm. is really an epic poem, right? It's done as poetry rather than so. It, it has a meter and a rhyme. Um, it's not done as straight narrative, um, as as was done in the end of Fahrenheit four five one. What does Guy Montag eventually? Uh, become the book of I can't remember. Uh, I don't recall either. I'm not quite there yet. It's it's been 
a long time since I read it, but yeah. yeah I'm about a third of the way through it. He, he's got to memorize one of those books, but mm-hmm. um, I think, uh, you know, the one that struck me this time, you know, we had the Rosie Finger Dawn in the past, but uh, especially in the uh, audio version, um, it's the, whenever they have a meal, uh, they all sat down and they reach for the good things close at hand. <laughs> 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 all the good things close at hand. It's like, oh, okay, all this fun stuff on the table. But uh, the re- the repeating of the phrase, it's like every day ends with a meal and to bed. Every day. Uh-huh. A meal and to bed. And then Rosie Fingered Dawn comes up. Right? It's It's very simple to keep track of if you use the same stock phrases again and again. Mm-hmm. And that's the way to do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he always says uh, when something like their appetite for food and drink had, had abated or something like that, mm-hmm. he, that sentence is used over and over as yep. well. After yeah. they've finished reaching for all the good things that lay close at hand. Exactly. Um, the, other, uh, the other part that I marked specifically as I think needing a read is, uh, again, in book seven book seventeen Odysseus goes to town in my my copy um was right before he gets into the the town proper he's at the gates and uh there's this little um little reminder of all the things he's left behind and that's the dog argus mm. um now in in uh eric Shanauer's the podcast I did with him. Uh-huh. Um, he's the guy who is a comic book artist who's, who's retelling the entire Trojan War from all the different sources available uh, to you know from start to finish in a massive volume. He's calling calling um, uh, the uh, Bronze Age of Bronze, and uh, in that he talked about Argus and and uh, we meet Argus. Normally, only uh, in this book right here at his old age, but in the first uh, volume, I believe, of The Age of Bronze, he's got Argus as a puppy. Mm. Uh, and so it's a nice uh, re-meeting for me um, to see him again here. And this is where we get the story of Argus. Um, Stretch on the ground, close to where they stood talking, there lay a dog, who now pricked up his ears and raised his head. Argus was his name. Odysseus himself had owned and trained him, though he had sailed for holy Ilium before he could reap the reward of his patience. In years gone by, the young huntsman had often taken him out, uh, often taken him out after wild goats, deer, and hares. But now, in his owner's absence, he lay abandoned on the heaps of dung from the mules and cattle which lay in profusion at the gate, awaiting removal by Odysseus's servants as manure for his great estate. There, full of vermin, lay Argus the hound. But directly he became aware of Odysseus's presence, he wagged his tail and dropped his ears, though he lacked the strength now to come any nearer his, to his master. Yet Odysseus saw him out of the corner of his eye and brushed a tear away without showing any sign of emotion to the swineherd, whom he now proceeded to sound. Eumaeus, it is, a very, it is very odd to see a hound like this lying in the dung. He's a beauty, though one cannot really tell whether... The looks were matched by his pace, or whether he was just one of those dogs whom their masters feed at table and keep for show. It's plain enough, said the swineherd Eumaeus, that this is a dog whose master has met his death abroad. 
If you could see him in his heyday of his looks and form as Odysseus left him when he sailed for Troy, you'd be astonished at the speed and power. No game that he gave chase to could ever escape him in the forest glades, for besides all else he has, all else was, besides for all else he was a marvel at picking up the scent. But now he is in a bad way. His master, far away from home, has come to grief, and the women are too careless to groom him. Servants, when their masters are no longer there to order them about, have little will to do their duties as they should. All seeking Zeus takes half the good out of a man when, <laughs> on the day he becomes a slave. Hmm. <laughs> with the Emmaus with the left him, entered the great house, and passed into the straight hall straight into the great hall, where the gallants were all assembled. As for Argus, he had no sooner set eyes on Odysseus after those 19 years than he succumbed to the black hand of death. That's the end of Argus. I don't think there's another mention of him. <laughs> um, this is kind of a sad story about this poor dog lying on a big pile of shit, covered <laughs> in fleas, uh, yeah. sees his master, pricks up his, uh, uh, picks up his tail, Lays down his ears in pleasure at seeing his old master. The, the master gives a tear for the dog, asks about him, see what his life was like, and then he fucking dies. <laughs> <laughs> Such a sad story. The Black Hand of Death. Thank you. Mm. And death being capitalized. Um, but the the line that strikes you, other than that, that is sort of the cast-off line that's, you know, is like not a... Um, is probably the, the, the point that was trying to be made that I think is not a good point, but <laughs> it's being made is all seeing Zeus takes half the good out of a man on the day he becomes a slave. Oh, uh, well, yep. Yeah. What is the good there? Well, <laughs> the motivation to do good work, right? It's like, yeah, it's yeah. not mine. I have to do that for you. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to do it. Give my full weight. Duh. <laughs> but yeah, taking your oil away. Mm-hmm. Yep. For sure. Not really an anti-slavery uh, polemic, is it? It's more like a, uh, it's more like a, yeah, you know, them slaves, they, just, they can't work as hard as regular folks. <laughs> In them. So half gone. Uh, or, or it's saying, uh, you know, you don't want to be a slave. Yeah, well, you, you, de- you definitely, and, and he's threatened with that, right? This is his threatened with that, one of the, uh, that, that Antonius, I think it was. Uh-huh. He he threatened to take him. Oh no no! It was the it was the swine uh, the goat herd threatened to take uh, Odysseus off on a black ship to sell him and make his fortune. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'll toss you into a black ship and sell you off to Echetus. Yeah, the mainland king. All you have to who do wrecks that. all men alive. Yeah. <laughs> all all uh, you have to do to uh, make some money is just kidnap any old person and sell them as a slave. Mm-hmm. Yep. Pretty pretty tough world. It is a tough world, right? Right. Unless you got uh, uh, Athena on your side, <laughs> <laughs> which you know I think that Odysseus does. But you're mm-hmm. right. I mean, she does do things that really make things difficult for him. Yeah, she's not working in favor of the suitors, is she? she well, she's not. Yeah, yeah. And then er- earlier on, you know. She said, well, I knew you were going to come back. You know, we talked about this in the last podcast where, um, you know, she's, it's, it's not quite a Wizard of Oz. You know, you could have just clicked your heels together and, and avoided all this trouble. Yeah. But he's saying, why did you avoid all this trouble for me? And she said, well, I could have, but 
I didn't really want to fight my brother. Mm-hmm. And uh, I knew you were going to make it back eventually. And he's like, holy cow, that was 20 years. And But she's a god. She doesn't understand. It, to, to her, that's not a big deal. No, and she's but to him, he's missed everything. Yeah. Yep. It's a tough situation. It is a tough situation. That's okay. It's going to be over soon. He's going to be reunited. <laughs> it's, it's surprising how few people have died in his absence. His father hasn't yeah. died. Mm-hmm. Uh, his wife hasn't died. His son hasn't died. The dog hasn't died. <laughs> the nurse hasn't died. Um, yep. uh, and, and that nurse was supposed to, supposed to be quite old when when uh, he left too. Right? Yeah, yeah. She's. Uh, in fact, that scene that was the one scene that surprised me. Um, when Odysseus comes in, he's dressed as the beggar. Uh, he briefly talks to uh, Penelope, I think, mm-hmm. and says. Um, uh, I think it's in chapter 19 or 20, he says, hey, um, you know, those other guys are bad guests. Uh, all I ask is, you know, if you if you are going to treat me like a, a guest, uh, you know, find some old trusted servant to yeah. wash my feet. <laughs> and right. I, well, she, she offers him, uh, after they, they she, she brings him in um, because she wants to talk to this beggar. Okay? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the, the, the whole thing kind of leads to, you know, does Penelope really know who he is or not? Because there, there are subtle clues that make you think, you know, I think she's playing along. Yeah, yeah. And um, but, one, one but, part of that is that I thought she was going to be the one to wash his feet because yeah. it sounded like, you know, I will get you the man who, uh, I, I will get you the servant who washed uh, Odysseus' feet. Yeah, exactly. And I said, oh, and that's she, her, right? Yeah, <laughs> no. so, so she, you know, how, how that came about, she... She brought him in because she wanted to talk to him about Odysseus, and he mm-hmm. said, "Yeah, I have met him, but it was, it was before uh, all this. You know, it was on his way out to right. the war." And um, she says, "Well, thank you. You know, I really appreciate your talking to me. Let me get you a bath." And then he said, "No, uh, but you could wash my feet, you know." And then uh, she says, "Well, let me find somebody." And then he says, "No, I need somebody who's been through as much as me." Mm. And then that's how he ended up with the 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 nurse. But what what was interesting to me is as I was reading it, it could be read it could easily be read as Penelope understanding exactly who he is the entire time mm-hmm. and knowing exactly what she's doing the entire time. And then when, when she comes up with the whole I'm gonna put this bow into play in chapter twenty. Mm-hmm. In book twenty, um, the you know whoever can string this bow, I will marry type mm-hmm. of a thing. You know, mm-hmm. she at that point, you know, she could either be delaying the whole thing again, you know, because she's been pushing these suitors off with these impossible things like you know I'll, I'll marry somebody when I'm finished embroidering this thing or whatever mm-hmm. she's doing, and she never ever finishes it. Right. And then now she says, well, whoever can string this bow, if Penelope doesn't know what's going on, she doesn't think anybody could string the bow. Mm-hmm. But I think that she does know what's going on is making sure that Odysseus has access to that thing so that he can take care of business here. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. And uh, 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 this is, again, why you know some people have argued that the Odyssey shows a transition in the mind of humanity. Some people have made, uh, one dude has made an argument, I can't remember his name, uh, that you can see consciousness coming out of people between the Iliad and the Odyssey, and that and that there's an, a kind of an awareness of the subconscious in 
in this, in that Penelope goddamn well better know her own husband, and she does, yeah. really. But in a way, she also doesn't. And that that abstraction of of different aspects, uh, especially wisdom, and she is she is just as wise as Odysseus is. I mean, she's yeah. she's got all her own lies and plans, uh, you know, going. Well, yeah, and, and I, I guess you know it could be read, like I said, it could be read both ways. Either mm-hmm. Penelope has no idea who he is, and is just trudging along trying to figure out ways to delay stuff, mm-hmm. or she is just as smart as Odysseus is realizes the situation and they are working in concert with each other for the rest mm-hmm. of the book. Yeah, and that right? ambiguity and I, I, makes it richer, absolutely. Yeah, and that ambiguity makes it richer and she's uh, you know, making these decisions, you know, w- without talking about it openly, her and Odysseus are in cahoots for the rest of the book. Yeah. And I I kind of think that that's how it is. You know, it's it's subtle, and the and uh, Penelope is just as smart as Odysseus is. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 So next up will be the final four. Is that right? Yeah, the final four. Final, final four. four. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So we end, you know, just um, yeah, we we end that thing with, you know, the bow is coming into play, but again, you know, chapter twenty seems to kind of be. Uh, not a lot going on there. <laughs> For me, chapter 10, 20 was called Prelude to the Crisis. Yeah, so that's exactly what it is. It's like a prologue. You know, I, I, it makes me wonder, you know, keep thinking how the story was told, if chapter 20 would be the beginning of a day. You know, he's he he ends at chapter 19, you know, everybody goes to bed or whatever, mm-hmm. and then when they wake up, he starts with this book 20 and gives you a prologue for the rest of the book. It's it's definitely a lot of setup in here and a lot of many meetings and uh, yep um, chapter twenty one or book twenty one for me the great bow mm-hmm. book twenty two the battle in the hall book twenty three Odysseus and Penelope <laughs> and the feud is ended for the final final book all right let's see here just calling mine up. Uh, 21 is called Odysseus Strings His Bow. Mm-hmm. And... Boom. I'm, I'm using a Kindle here, so I've got to kind of float through. Okay, book 22 is called Slaughter in the Hall. Mm. So these are even more descriptive. Yep. <laughs> yeah, maybe too descriptive, eh? <laughs> well, uh, it, was it in the end of 20 that every, everything... All the the walls turn red mm-hmm. in anticipation of the blood. Yeah. Yeah. The Great Rooted Bed is book 23. Hmm. And let's see. Hold on. Oops, I'm pressing the incorrect buttons here. Hmm. Boom, boom. We don't usually navigate this way. And the last book, book number 24... Is called peace. Peace. Mm-hmm. The feud is ended. Yep. So cool. Oh uh, yeah, I wanted to mention that I started to listen to Yuri Rozovsky's The Odyssey oh. drama. Cool. I didn't. I didn't get that far into it, but it's interesting so far. I think it's. Uh, it's pretty good. I, it'd be interesting to see how um, such things as all the disguises are handled. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I listened to probably the first half hour, and it's long. I don't know how long it is, but I got it from Blackstone Audio a while back on MP3 CD. 
and uh, it is very long. You know, it must be eight hours long or something. All audio drama, mm-hmm. and uh, hosted by Ed Asner. Must have been broadcast on NPR, NPR yeah. or something. Okay, and um, so I got to listen at the very opening where the gods are talking to each other, and Zeus is talking about how uh, you know Poseidon. We, you know, trying to figure out how to get around Poseidon. You know, he, he wants to distract Poseidon while they let Odysseus go home finally. And wow. um, then it goes into, I think, the Calypso, you know, or what mm-hmm. were they doing? Uh, yeah, I can't recall exactly. But anyway, I started to listen to it, and it sounds really good. You know, it's actually quite long. It's nine and not no, over nine hours. Nine hours long. Yeah. Okay. And there's... um. Uh, interesting. It says there's commentary. Did, does yours have commentary? Yeah, it does have commentary. Neat. Uh, I, I haven't I haven't got completely through it, but there's a an introduction by Ed Asner, mm-hmm. or read by Ed Asner. It's not by Ed Asner, <laughs> and he kind of uh, gives a description of what the book is and and all this. And then um, from previous times where I've listened to a significant portion of it, um, there are there's commentary between sections. Ah, uh, yeah, I think i got to borrow that from you. The Contest of the Bow is, is what that, I guess, section would be called. The one we, we've just heard uh, probably was called A Beggar's Home, Homecoming. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they've got all sorts of different profs from different universities talking about uh, different sections. Very nice. Very interesting. Yeah, that'll be cool. Uh, so are those done as separate files? or? Um, good question. Uh, the, uh, you know, the MP3 CD had... a bunch of files, like 60-something files on hmm. it. So I'll, uh, yeah, I'll see what I can do here. It's a Peabody Award winner. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. <laughs>